Welcome to Pastor Potluck. I'm Court Green. And normally this is when I would point to Peter and he would say, and I'm Peter Constantian, and we would go from there. However, this is just me recording an intro. The actual podcast today is going to be a recording of a Bible study that Peter did with Captain Murray, who I'll talk about in a second, and also will be talked about in the Bible study itself. And they did that on Tuesday night. I was there, but I was behind the scenes making this recording. I hope you enjoy it. Peter and Captain Murray, who is directing our mass vaccination clinics here in Haywood County, both met and you know had essentially an interview slash discussion. They talked about the Psalms. They talked about Revelation. They talked about life in general. And frankly, I thought it was pretty enjoyable. I hope that you enjoy it. I hope that you learn something from it. And I hope that soon... Our schedules will calm down and we'll be able to get together for somewhat of our normally scheduled program. Y'all have a good one. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Canton First Baptist Church, an event that is co-hosted with Long's United Methodist and Crusoe United Methodist Church here in Canton, North Carolina. My name is Peter Constantian. I'm the pastor of Long's and Crusoe. And... uh, This evening we're going to be interviewing uh, in a Bible study format and in a sort of a a faith testimonial format, Captain Nathan Murray of the Haywood County EMS. Uh, Captain Murray and I have gotten to know each other a little bit over the past month, working side by side at the Haywood County mass vaccination campaign. And we'll hear a little bit more about that as we get going. but uh, this is a Bible study format. We're in a faith space, um, and, and I would like to begin this meeting tonight with prayer. So if you would pray with me. Almighty God, patient and of great goodness, we give you thanks for an opportunity to come together and to open your word together across different denominations, across different experiences, across different occupations, to seek your guidance and direction through these ancient words. So we pray that they might be made new again today, this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Captain Murray, I wonder if you would just start by introducing yourself um, and tell me a little bit about where you're from and what your current role is. Yeah, well, my name is Nathan Murray. Uh, as, as Pastor Peter said, um, I grew up here in Haywood County, uh, particularly in the Bethel area. And uh, my family has been here uh, since the 1840s or so. So no stranger to the area. Um, and my, my current role, at least, uh, I'm a bivocational pastor, if you will. Uh, I work full-time for Haywood County Emergency Services as the EMS captain there. And um, I, I did serve as a pastor here in Canton for a couple of years uh, in, in the recent past, but I'm doing fill-in work now um, for primarily the Baptist Association and anyone else who wants to call. Um, so that's that's my story. Uh, we're certainly we're certainly grateful that you're here with us tonight, and uh, I 
take you up on that offer to supply the pulpit at some point in the future. Um, I got to know you, Nathan, while we were working at the mass vaccination campaigns together. Uh, I was at a community uh, meeting, a county commissioner's meeting, about a, a month, two months ago, and they, they talked about how good of a job Haywood County is doing as far as um, getting vaccinations to people who want them. And during that meeting, they said they needed 100 to 130 volunteers per day. And they said, please volunteer if you can, if you're able to. But they didn't provide any contact information at that meeting. So I went on a wild goose chase and eventually was put in contact with you. Would you tell me a little bit about that success that you've had at uh, the mass vaccination sites? Sure. Um, it, it really kind of grew organically and um, sorry, we're having a little technical issues here, but it, it grew organically and, and basically it came or stemmed from the fact that, um, you know, we've got a huge, not only a nationwide, but a worldwide uh, pandemic here. And uh, our, our typical avenues of reaching out to state government from, from the local perspective and from the state to the national level for any types of resources, whether it be for uh, personal protective equipment or even say in, in the face of a large hurricane or something, there, there's typically an algorithm by which we reach out for, for, for things, for resources and supplies and uh, it's fairly obvious when everyone has the same request on such a global scale, those typical algorithms do not work. So um, we knew pretty early on that if we were going to do anything uh, effective, we were gonna have to really reach inwardly uh, and reach out toward one another in, in terms of um, trying to navigate through this and, and what that would look like. Um, but because of my role, and I hesitate to use the word role because it was just more of, um, I think, God's sovereignty and putting me in, in the right place at the right time, uh, specifically regarding my, my uh, pastoral work and my position with the county, uh, we just really pitched the idea of, you, you know, who would be the largest group of people to potentially reach out to. And, um, you know, you can't use the terminology have a heart to do the work, but that's essentially where I was going with that. And um, so I pitched the idea of, you know, what about reaching out to the faith-based community? It started off with a, a fairly small group of pastors, uh, and one thing led to another. And uh, initially, of course, it started off with the Baptist denomination because that's who I'm with, and um, it's evolved from there. So um, kingdom-minded folks, um, particularly those who uh, teach and profess and doctrinally um, ascribe to service works have really, really helped us out, and, and it's made a tremendous difference. Um, so I say all that to say this, that our work, uh, were it not to appeal to, to people's, certainly their faith, but their inner drive and their inner willingness to serve the community and help each other out, particularly for the folks in Haywood County, I think is what has really made this successful. So I wanna address a, a few things that you said. Well, first of all, thank you for participating at, in my Bible study. I do lead a Bible study at my small church on Tuesday evenings, 7 p.m. 
and we have been in a, we're in a, a period of transition right now. We've been going through Psalms, according to the lectionary, and just treating it as a time for prayer. I noticed in my community during the pandemic a lack of person-to-person connection, a lack of, uh, you know, without the in-person services, it's been difficult to maintain those bonds, those relationship bonds. And so scaling back sort of the educational component, we really focused on prayer for Tuesday nights. And the Psalms were a natural choice because so much of the language there is is helpful in, in for Christians to craft their own prayers as they work through the present moment, periods of adversity. Um, we're in a transition, like I said, and uh, we'll be studying Revelation next. There's always an interest in Revelation. Um, and so I want to read a, a passage from each, but I'll start with the Psalms, and then I'd ask you if you would reflect just on the period of 2020 and everything up until now, a uh, period that has been, um, you know, terrible as far as what we've seen on a global scale with this pandemic. I mean, I believe it's, we're over 560,000 dead in the U.S., 2.6 million worldwide. Um, and so many people in our community and around the world have been gripped by fear, fear of many different things, not always the same thing. Um, so I'd love for you, after I read Psalm 91, um, for you to just reflect on what sustained you and what guidance you've been able to share with people who are, who are working through that present fear um, that they've experienced over the past year. Let's listen now for the word of the Lord from Psalm 91. Living in the Most High's shelter, camping in the Almighty's shade, I say to the Lord, you are my refuge, my stronghold. You are my God, the one I trust. God will save me from the hunter's trap and from deadly sickness. God will protect you with his pinions. You'll find refuge under his wings. His faithfulness is a protective shield. Don't be afraid of terrors at night, arrows that fly by, by daylight, or sickness that prowls in the dark destruction that ravages at noontime. Even if 1,000 fall dead next to you, 10,000 right beside you, it won't happen to you. Just look with your eyes and you will see the wicked punished. Because you've made the Lord my refuge, the Most High, your place of residence. No evil will happen to you, no disease will come close to your tent because he will order his messengers to help you, to protect you wherever you go. They will carry you with their own hands, so you won't bruise your foot on a stone. You'll march on top of lions and vipers. You'll trample young lions and serpents underfoot. God says, because you are devoted to me, I will rescue you. I'll protect you because you know my name. Whenever you cry out to me, I'll answer. I'll be with you in troubling times. I'll save you and glorify you. I'll fill you full with old age. I will show you my salvation. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
So, Captain Murray, I just I wonder, you know, obviously these words can't be true for everyone. We've seen so much loss. But um, in your own faith experience and given what you've seen of this, of this pandemic, um, what has sustained you and how have you, um, how have you faced that fear every day? I've actually gotten written in the margin of my Bible. Uh, and, I, you know, you scribble notes sometimes in here and you don't really know where they come from. Uh, but I think it maybe sums up Psalms 91 pretty well. And it simply says, God will never lead you into a battle you can't win. Um, so, obviously, and, and I'm not really approaching this, or maybe I am from a perspective of, of a real human being, because that's, that's what we are. Um, but we also live as Christians, um, as Christ followers, in a world that is not necessarily controlled by physical attributes. And when you read statements like that, um, God will never lead you into a battle you can't win. You really have to define what is winning? Um, because in the traditional sense of the word, people would read that and say, you're absolutely crazy. Uh, we're, we're not winning this battle. But from a metaphysical perspective, I think we are. Because even what Paul says, to die is gain. I mean, what, what do we have to fear? As Christians, and, and I think that's a good point to make, Peter, is that is the faith that we have as daughters and sons of God. That we don't have to fear coronavirus. We don't have to fear dying in a car accident. And, and those, those things are easy to say. It's very easy to say. Versus saying that to maybe someone in your church or a family member. Uh, or in some other people's case where they, they have literally lost a father. Or a daughter or a son or a grandmother or what, what be the case. Even here in Haywood County. I mean we, we, we say kind of global ethereal things. But death has struck us here. Uh, very, very candidly so. It has struck us here. Um, and we began to see that initially, at least for the emergency response team here. We, we thought our earthly strategy would work pretty well. That we could cordon things off. That we could be meticulous in, in, in trying to put mandates out in terms of engineeringly controlling things. Uh, washing hands and social distancing and, and things like that. But, and we managed to do well for a couple of weeks. But then the first death struck. And of course, um, everybody questions, well, come on, you know, that's, it's not really related to coronavirus. It's something else. They died of the flu or, or what have you. And uh, then the second death and the third death, and it just kept on and on and on. And uh, despite the naysayers, suddenly those deaths become or became closer and closer and closer and closer to home. 
to the point that it was impacting either individuals or people within their households. Um, you know, Hebrews says pretty straight, or actually it's Romans, says pretty straightforward that sometimes we don't know what to pray. Maybe you don't know the liturgical things to say. Maybe you don't have the Psalms in front of you to quote. But if you have the Spirit on the inside of you, the Spirit intercedes on your behalf, or Jesus intercedes on your behalf in front of the throne of God in words that we can't understand, that only He can understand. And it sounds cliche, and, and sometimes, at least from my perspective, the work is exhausting. Physically, it's exhausting. Mentally, it's exhausting. Spiritually, it's exhausting. And, and it's easy to just, heaven forbid, you sit down and watch the world news at night. It's enough to make you despair. It's enough to make you sometimes question whether God exists. I mean, really, and, and we can be high-minded and say we would never do that, but that's really not true. We're humans, and sometimes we have those questions, and it's easy to do that in a world like today. But read Scripture. Know those things. Fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Psalms comforts us in those areas because Jesus does protect us. God protects us under the wings of the Almighty. And it's a wonderful and it's a beautiful thing. And it gives you strength. And truthfully, I know this is a roundabout way of answering your question, but for me specifically, it's about doing the work that Jesus commanded us to do. And Sometimes I don't know how that works, spiritually speaking. Um, but we all probably know the joy that comes from giving a gift, either, either to a child or for, to someone you don't know. And even in our capacity at work, whether you're a healthcare worker, like in my case, or work in emergency management, or are a pastor, or a teacher, or a family member of some type, um, Great freedom and great joy comes from the fact that we give back and we serve and we become the hands and we become the feet and the heart of Jesus to the world around us. Um, and that really has what has motivated me and given me strength to, to carry on really through the, the last few months is not only protecting the, the folks that are directly under me, but trying to motivate the church and other Christians to rally around those causes and to help humanity around us. Thank you, Murray. And I want to stay with that point for a second because um, I think that's really key as far as motivating church folk, Christian folk to be involved in this work. It's often been said, um, and I'm a fan of saying, of repeating it, uh, that people don't know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so for any Christian that I were to just bump into with no understanding of how they're living their life, if they were to say to me, 
Well, God's got this, so don't have any fear. I think I, <laughs> I would have a hard time accepting that, you know. And, and we've seen in this county where that, that line of argument leads people to completely disregarding public safety, not wearing masks, not washing hands, that kind of thing. But when I hear that coming from you, it strikes me differently because I know that you have been on the front lines. I know that you are advocating for ways for people to protect one another, wearing masks, washing hands, social distancing, and you're daily engaged in the, in the real struggle against this virus. So help me understand, you know, from your perspective in the work that you're doing, what, is it, what does it mean to trust in God and have no fear if, if we still need people to, you know, wear masks, social distance, and, and wash their hands. Like, how, help me understand that, you know, how the message, don't have fear, trusting God, does not mean that you just need to ignore this virus. I think have no fear doesn't mean be stupid. <laughs> Uh, or, or not have intelligence. And um, we, we have a saying in EMS, uh, you know, you may be the, the, the best trauma surgeon in the world, you may be the best paramedic in the world, uh, but if you're on the battlefield and that is your job, a medic, um, and you get killed in the process, what good have you done? I mean, what, what good have you served? You can have all the knowledge, you can have all the skills literally in your head or in your hands, uh, but if you get killed in the process, you, you literally serve no purpose for anyone that you may or may not have potentially saved. So it sounds selfish, and I'll admit when I went through school, it, it sounded strange. We have a little saying when we, whenever we go into any call, and it's kind of pre-rehearsed and, and drilled into our EMS students' heads. Uh, scene safety, PPE. Anytime you go into any house, anytime you go into any situation, you rehearse this narrative in your head and you ask yourself essentially those questions. Uh, scene safe, is the scene safe, and, and do I have PPE? It sounds cliche, but it's very, very true. And what that is meant to do is remind us that to some degree you have to take care of yourself before you can ever expect to take care of anyone else. Uh, and, and, and for us, it, it's not that you, it's a healthy fear. I mean, um, I can't go to work every day, and, and I, I wouldn't ascribe it to, to fear per se, because I have the confidence of, of not just knowing where I'm going, but being that in God's sovereignty, I'm not going to expire or depart this world a second before he deems it appropriate. I, I mean, I just... I believe and I have full faith and confidence that God has my life and everyone else's in his hands. Now, do accidents happen? Yes, I'm a, an absolute uh, testimony to that. We see it every day, and it's very tragic. Um, we, we live in a fallen world, and I acknowledge that too, but nothing escapes God's permissive will, and, and I believe that. Um, you know, I hesitate to, to quote a famous Civil War general, but 
He often said when asked that question, how do you remain so calm on the battlefield? And his response was, sir, because of my faith in God, I'm as confident on the battlefield as I am going to bed. That his destiny literally resides in the hands of the Father. And I, I, I remember that and, and, and I quote that. Here's, here's the thing that I would say, at least from a faith-based community, uh, when it's in regards to simple earthly measures like wearing PPE, wearing masks, washing your hands, socially distancing, that we do live in the United States. And while those are your rights to decide for yourself, I don't think it's ever our place as Christians to place our wants or our needs above those of someone around you. I don't believe that was the example that Christ set before us when going to the cross. Um, my goodness, he could have used any loophole in the world to get out of that situation, yet he went and faced that cross, climbed upon it, and held himself there to be, um, to essentially become the forgiveness of our sins. And what better example to serve than, than that? I mean, I don't know that we have any other option than that. Um, I think it's important, <laughs> my opinion, I think it's important that we not um, be careful not to interchange our rights as individuals um, for Scripture, if that makes any sense. We, we shouldn't get those interposed and we shouldn't get those mixed up. Um, we fix our eyes on Jesus, not on a political system or a party. Um, and that's the position that we should assume. Yeah, that's really helpful. Um, and uh, I should say that in our first conversation, uh, Captain Murray and I on the phone were talking, and uh, one thing that really clicked is uh, we, were, we were talking about the history of the church. And it's, it's a history that, um, you know, when we stick to the scriptures, we don't get the whole story because we kind of get the book of Acts and then what happened next. But through research and through reading, there's plenty of documentation on the development of the early church in, um, in the Roman Empire, for example. And we actually have, uh, we have examples that we can turn to and read about how early Christians handled pandemics. Um, I've heard many times people saying we're facing an unprecedented situation. Um, and that may be true for those of us who are living. We haven't experienced a global pandemic in our lives. But if we dig deep into the roots of our faith as Christian people, we can turn to these ancient Christians who in the third and fourth century in Rome faced a measles pandemic uh, of the Roman world. And, you know, kind of tying in with what you were saying as far as, far as following Christ's example, it was Christian people during that pandemic, who put themselves in harm's way, um, not recklessly, but out of a sense of duty and responsibility. And they were caring for the other members of their community. But 
in this pagan world, they also were caring for all of those left behind by those who fled for the hills. Uh, and so we, we don't have a very, I would say we don't have a very developed sense of kind of the, I don't want to use this word because it sounds melodramatic, but of, of martyrdom in the Christian church, but just this understanding of doing something, putting ourselves in harm's way, um, not recklessly, but intentionally to try to reduce the harm on others, especially the most vulnerable. Uh, and so, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense, what you shared. And it, and it seems to line up I with my understanding of what it means to follow Christ. Because like, like you said, there were many opportunities to avoid um, the path that he chose to walk. But in doing so, he demonstrated God's faithfulness and total allegiance to people who, like us, who just didn't deserve it. So speaking of the early church, we know uh, from studying scripture and from reading his church history that there was, um, there was severe persecution. And, and in the midst of the suffering that they experienced, uh, many turned to a future hope, a sense of um, what the world will look like when all things are restored. Um, I've often tried to summarize Roman, or Revelation 21 by saying uh, that, that, it, that one day all tribes will be welcomed in, there'll be no more violence, and the whole earth will be renewed. And Christians during that time, and even today, find a tremendous amount of hope in looking ahead. But I want to turn us to Revelation chapter 7, um, and I'd like for you to speak I think I'm going to go keep, keep us deep here in the spiritual conversation for just a little while longer, but then I'd like to come up for air and ask you some practical questions about, uh, about the mass vax campaign. Does that sound all right? We'll open it up to uh, if anyone from, from the audience is interested in asking a question as well. But um, here we have Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. After this I looked, and there was a great crowd that no one could number. They were from every nation, tribe, people, and language. They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They wore white robes and held palm branches in their hands. They cried with a loud voice, Victory belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood in a circle around the throne and and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell face down before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and always. Amen. Then one of the elders said to me, Who are these people wearing white robes? And where did they come from? I said to him, Sir, you know. Then he said to me, These people have come out of great hardship. They have washed their robes and made them white in the Lamb's blood. This is the reason. They are before God's throne. They worship him day and night in his temple, 
and the one seated on the throne will shelter them. They won't hunger or thirst anymore. No sun or scorching heat will beat down on them. Because the Lamb who sits in the midst of the throne will shepherd them. He will lead them to the springs of life-giving water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So concerning this, this scripture, Captain Murray, um, it, Revelation paints a picture that many describe as heaven, but the location of that, of that place, as far as my reading goes, is here on earth, when God's throne will come and God will be with God's people. And one of my favorite interpretations of that last verse is that not is not that all crying will cease, but that we worship a God who will wipe every tear from our eyes. That is to say that our suffering will not be rendered meaningless, but God will see our suffering and comfort every, every single one of us. So as we look ahead for Haywood County, in our own lives and in the life of the, of the people here, I wonder, what hope do you have? What is your hope for this place? What would be the hope that you long for that maybe motivates you um, in the work that you do, both in ministry and in your work in, as EMS, however you, however you see that? You know, I think as, um, and guys, please, I, I would love you to understand that, at least for me, this is awkward because no one's really here. <laughs> um, so it seems a little re rehearsed or maybe worse so not rehearsed. <laughs> but, you know, we, we tend, and I, I say that globally, particularly with, with the Baptist faith, we put a lot of emphasis on getting to heaven. Like, that is the end-all, be-all goal. Like, why, why do you come to church? Why do you do good things? Why do you profess this or that? And, and we really cheapen the answer sometimes. Well, do you want to go to heaven or do you want to go to hell? And number one, I don't think that's scriptural. Number two... If, if that is our sole objective, then that's very, very, very shallow. And it is no wonder that so many people fail at that goal. Because as Scripture tells us, it's, it's unobtainable, short of Jesus. Um, Christianity, the, the walk with Christ, is not about a get-out-of-hell-free card. In fact, heaven is not necessarily our end-all be-all state as revelation plainly tells us that our end-all be-all state will be in a remade renewed earth and that we will reside not in heaven but back here as renewed creatures with christ as our king reigning forever that's the goal it, it's a remade earth a remade us a, 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 a just perfection, where we should have been to begin with. That's the goal. For me personally, um, 
And, and that's the thing about Revelation 2. Revelation is, is not doomsday. It's actually our hope. It's the end of the story, certainly, but it is meant to give Christian churches written to a particular group of people at a particular time, in a particular place, who were being persecuted beyond anything we will ever know or imagine. Um, so we have to wear masks. Big deal. So we have to wash our hands. We have to socially distance. We have to spend time away from our family. As Hebrews would point out, not one of those things has required a drop of blood from our heads. It's bad, but it is nowhere near as bad as it has been for other people in history before, particularly Christians. And really, the success of the early church, the success of Christianity, the success of where we are today harkens back to the fact that we flourished in those margins. That the thing that was so appealing about who we believe in and what we do was number one in the fact of how we loved one another. How we reached across societal areas and bounds where slaves and owners and fathers and children and husbands and wives that could, could communicate and could participate together in one accord with one purpose in mind, breaking any social stigmas whatsoever and worship a living God, something that had never before been offered, communion with a God that made us. Literally, it involved those early Christians in being tortured in horrific ways. And we don't have time to go into all of that. Um, but it defies anything we have ever witnessed or seen. And it's in that framework that people looked at us. They looked at the church and they said, you know what, something is really strange about these people. They're weird. They're bizarre in a very, very good way. Like we don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. Um, they're not taking the nation by storm in the traditional sense of the word. They're literally laying down their lives for other people. Literally laying down their lives for other people. And it's that framework that caused people to press in and to press forward. And if nothing else, out of curiosity to see what was going on. That's what made us remarkable and that's what built the church. So there's that. And then for me personally, what motivates me is seeing the church. And I use that term very specifically. Not a church, but the church. Capital T-H-E. Capital C-H-U-R-C-H. Baptist, Methodist, Catholics, Lutherans, whatever flavor you want to be today. 
but seeing us all come together for a common goal. Choose the goal. It just happens to be coronavirus this time. Uh, but what, you know, what if it's building churches? What if it's feeding the poor? What, 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 whatever the case may be, what turns me on and what turns my crank, if you will, is seeing us pastors and churches who otherwise, beyond associating with each other in, in the workspace or at a football game or something like that, who theologically or methodologically or doctrinally would not necessarily agree on all things, can still come together and do the work of Christ as he commanded it and as simply as it is stated. It need not be complex because it isn't. It literally is a matter of loving each other and loving each other well and laying down your life for someone else. It, it, it's complex but beautifully simple. That's what motivates me. It really, really, really does. And, uh, you know, can I, can I say that from a governmental capacity? Of course not. But um, at my heart of hearts, seeing the church work together with the community, um, people you otherwise wouldn't associate with, people from different political parties, um, it is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing to behold that we don't have to fight. I mean, there's a problem and we all work together to fix it. It's really great. That's really awesome. Um, I was actually facilitating the Canton Missional Network meeting last night, uh, which is a group of 20 churches across denominations uh, that just come together every two months to talk about what's the work that we're doing here in Canton, in Haywood County, what's the work that needs to be done, where have we heard the need, so that we're not competing, but working together. It was uh, the founder of United Methodism, John Wesley, who wrote in a letter to a Catholic brother, he said, if we cannot think alike, can we not love alike? And honestly, since moving to Canton here two years ago, that is, um, that is something that I have been incredibly impressed by as far as the current moment for the church in Canton, North Carolina, because we are working together. We're starting to, we're coming out of our, our boxes and our you know, it was almost, apparently it was almost like a cartel system before, like you handle taking people to transportation to medical appointments and we're going to handle food boxes, you know, and then this group was going to ha handle clothing, dry, you know, it was so segmented and now we're putting aside those differences and we're coming together and we're saying, what is, what are we doing now? What is the work that needs to be done? So, um, so I'm very excited for this present moment, and I share that hope with you. So I, I'm grateful that you said it. Um, as, as we move from this spiritual conversation towards practical matters, um, I want to pause and give an opportunity for anybody who is online. If you have questions and you want to put those in the comments box, even if we are not able to get to them tonight, I'm sure uh, Captain Murray can answer some of those questions after the fact and we can get that information out there. So this next portion of our conversation is going to be somewhat more practical, 
as far as the, the, the COVID-19 pandemic, the mass vaccination campaign, the vaccines themselves. Um, and if there's anybody here in the room that comes with a question, please just raise your hand and approach the mic and I'll give you an opportunity to ask. But I have a few written down, Murray, are you ready? So you started at the beginning by sharing a little bit about the, the, the mass vax campaign in Haywood County, how it started. Um, how, how has it gone in your perspective? Uh, I, I think it's gone pretty well. And uh, <laughs> uh, when the benchmark is, is remarkably low, it, it's not hard to shine in that regard. But again, as I was sharing with some other folks today, I think what has made our effort gone so well um, is at least for a while, people have kind of dropped their preconceived notions of what's right or wrong or this and that, and, and we've really rallied together uh, just for the common good, and, and it has worked out remarkably well. Um, one of the things that I, I guess kind of set us up for success is our group of emergency managers initially consisted of about five folks. Uh, one gentleman retired, so we're down to four, but at the time these decisions were made, uh, we, we basically rehearsed contingency plans. Um, along with the, the mobilization for COVID-19 uh, response, we just tried to evaluate any foreseeable thing that could go wrong. We tried to at least have a, a bare bones plan um, written down that we could reach up and pull off the shelf and, and try to implement should that happen. One of those things was um, a mass vaccination effort. So when that, that order came down and uh, we really saw that that was gonna be an issue, we were just able to pull it off the shelf. Uh, of course, we had to tweak some specific issues in there, but um, aside from that, just put it in place. Um, the wild card, of course, was getting the staff necessary to support such an endeavor um, via untraditional means. And, and that's really where uh, the civic groups, the church groups, and everything came in. And uh, the, the thing that I think, at least from my perspective, is remarkable, and, and I've heard this from more than one person, is um, it's, it's one thing to do that once. Uh, but it's another thing to replicate it over a course of weeks, and in this case, months. Uh, and it has sustained itself. You know, people have come and gone, different groups have came into fashion and out of fashion, but um, the wherewithal has been there internally within the uh, volunteer community within our county to sustain that um, with very, 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 very minimal outside help. So tell me more about um, the volunteering uh, for, for the mass vax campaigns. You do them full, a full day schedule. I think we start 8 a.m. and go all the way through 5 or 6 p.m. So that's a, pretty, that's a pretty involved schedule. It's an all-day commitment. So how have you found, uh, how have you found people to, to do that with time to do that? and, and um, do you still need people? Is that something that um, we should be um, well, advertising? It, yeah, I, I think 
tactics are going to change, and, and maybe tactics is a poor word, strategy is going to change um, as we evolve through the next few months. And, and we never imagined that we would be saying this this early in the game uh, because we really planned for a long-term haul for this, uh, imagining possibly a year, maybe even two years to get everyone vaccinated. But through the efforts here and through the sustainment of, of the volunteers, we have made substantial progress. Um, and it, it's just been miraculous really to watch. So to some degree, we've, we're working ourselves out of a job, it, it, particularly in terms of the mass vax model, having everyone in the county come to a central location and distributing the, uh, the vaccine that way. Um, so I think as time goes on, those things will be scaled down to a smaller degree. Uh, and we don't quite yet know what that would look like in terms of deployment. I know uh, some of the private entities such as Walgreens, Ingalls, uh, the Blue Ridge Health Clinic out here in Clyde are doing smaller sections of those, maybe 100 vaccines or so per week. And the theory is at least that that process will be multiplied and get more of the general population, maybe through physician care centers and things like that, ambulatory care centers and, and whatnot. Um, so there's no doubt that the MassVax model met our initial need and it, it, it's basically mutated to where we, um, I think the statistic today, we're somewhere in the neighborhood of 40,000 vaccines for first doses. Uh, and our normal population uh, permanent population in Haywood counties, somewhere in the neighborhood of 63,000 people. So that's a, a lot more than a lot of other counties can say for themselves. Um, so it's worked well, at least for the initial, I would say probably at least for the next month or so, we're definitely going to still need folks for the, the mass fax drives. We're having one this week, actually tomorrow and Thursday. Uh, those will be eight to five days, and, and we'll be giving somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 1,500 vaccines per day. So the need is still there. I just cannot project how long that volume of need will be uh, moving forward. Um, a couple of different ideas have been proposed for that, not only with the primary cares, but um, some dif different models could involve potentially the churches on smaller scales, maybe even uh, some of the volunteer fire departments and things like that moving forward in a more mobile vaccination type, type modality. So the need is there. Um, certainly there's huge fiscal need there too. A lot of churches have opted to support us with meals and uh, uh, the supports came from different ways um, and they've served different needs, but still there. I don't wanna downplay that at all. Um, thank you. I remember you mentioning, it, as far as uh, the success of the early church, that, that it really thrived on the margins. But what we've seen in the United States is a, is a hesitance, is a, is a, um, a skepticism um, in minority communities. And uh, to, to the government's implementation of the vaccine program, and I wonder if you could share with us how, how you're addressing that skepticism, but I wanna expand it also beyond specifically minority communities to just say uh, poor mountain folk are historically very skeptical of the government and I've heard it a lot 
of uh, you know whether we can trust this vaccine or not. So how have you addressed that um, skepticism in, from whatever form? And, and a lot of it is justified based on historical wounds um, for the, both the marginalized um, communities and for um, the general public here in the, in the rural South. So what, what would you say has been your method of, of, of addressing that skepticism? Well, I can't, I, I can't say that the method has worked particularly well. Uh, we have tried. Traditional avenues wouldn't be appropriate to say because it involves social media. Uh, it, and that's an avenue which we can, with relative safety, say that the general population utilizes because they watch Facebook much more than they watch anything else. But like you point out, that doesn't necessarily mean that all people groups do that and all demographics in this county, and, and we have found that. Um, so those have been challenging. They, they really have. And um, specific to the African-American community, they, certain key individuals within those people groups, have taken the onus upon themselves to try to be champions of that and to coordinate those efforts themselves. So obviously we've worked hand in hand with the hospital and the hospital has driven a, a good portion of that. We've made the staff available and we've allowed the, um, uh, the folks there in, in those communities to really canvas the area, to um, challenge the effort, to answer any questions that they have, certainly make ourselves available to answer those questions if they want to. Um, word of mouth, um, banking on people's character in churches and otherwise um, has helped make a difference in those areas. Um, there are also other demographics that um, maybe aren't so well established in the area, transient communities and whatnot, um, that really don't have that voice per se established in the community. And uh, we, we've just tried to be good human beings and be open and honest and transparent with those groups. Uh, utilizes the church missional networks also to reach out to them the best we can. And um, it sounds crazy, but nothing's off limits. So if there's a particular restaurant in town that has uh, a people group that frequents that area, what's the harm in maybe educating a, a group of those people to go out and challenge that work as well, if, if that makes any sense. So we, we don't, we're not closing the doors to different avenues of reaching out to these folks um, or to our folks or, or people in Fines Creek or Bethel or whatever. Uh, and, and in some cases, we've actually been taking the vaccine to them specifically. So shut-in groups that we've identified through the hospital or, um, uh, the public transit folks that go around and they, they identify people that can't get out of their houses. We try to, to keep a database of those folks and um, some of our community paramedics, our EMS folks and even hospital staff have been going out to those houses and trying to meet that need in the middle. So um, we're open and we're willing to really do anything to try to bridge that gap um, if that's feasible to people. We, we still have you know, the informational, educational issue there, and uh, those, are, those are tough obstacles to really combat. Uh, 
since since we were reading from Revelation, I think it's only fair to ask: um, Is this uh, vaccine the mark of the beast? <laughs> this is a rumor that I've heard, and you've probably we chuckle, but we we've heard this kind of thing. We've heard it's a mi there's a microchip in it that. Um, and I'm going to ask you after this, what, what do you think Bill Gates is up to with all of this? But, but seriously, but also, I mean, could you address some of these uh, rumors that we've been hearing? Yeah. So, Peter, you should cancel your subscription to the Sci-Fi Network, number one. Um, I would say this. It, it's interesting to me that people are overly concerned about a microchip being implanted in your arm when you have a microchip implanted on your hip at all times. And usually the information that you're getting from that comes via a, a cell phone or TV or something that's actively tracking you wherever you go. So it, it's interesting you're willing to partake, you know, partake in that device uh, and, and literally walk around with it all the time, but yet you're worried about something you're unaware of. Um, my only response to that is, uh, and I'm going to be careful with my wording here, um, I, I think it's a phenomenon maybe of just American society that we, you know, we, we sometimes ascribe more power to the government than actually exists. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, we have trouble repairing potholes on the road in a systematic fashion, whether that be at local government level or city government or national government. So if we can't manage to do those things well, do is there really like a global conspiracy to put microchips in your arms? I, I just, I don't think so. Uh, and that's my honest opinion. Beyond that, from a spiritual perspective, um, you should really and, and I, I never want to take away or degrade from the necessity of a real-world relationship with a local church pastor. I mean, and, and that may sound strange to say, and, and you mentioned this. There, there are some unique challenges just in the world that we live in, but... Um, if you're getting your, your theological input, if you're getting your, your understanding of who God is, who Jesus is in that relationship, uh, through some type of uh, force-fed media, either the TV or computer or something like that, and, and you're not learning, actively learning and being discipled within a a local church body, you're robbing yourself and you're setting yourself up for failure because it, it, it's just going to lead you astray and it's not, um, it's not the God I believe in. And I mean that to say this, if you feel that your salvation is in jeopardy because of a, a mark, that's not the God that I read about in the Bible. It's just not. Um, he created the universe. He created you. Um, he fashioned you specifically. And um, he transcends time. 
And I just, I don't believe any human measure on this earth uh, supersedes God's ability to, uh, to dictate those things. So my God's bigger than that, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And uh, you should use sound hermeneutics when interpreting scripture. And uh, you can do that through the help of a local church pastor. Thanks. I, I'll pay you later for that. <laughs> uh, just kidding. Um, what's your personal relationship with Bill Gates? <laughs> um, uh, anyway, uh, in all seriousness, um, thank you so much for your time here with us. Uh, is, are there any other questions that we need to field? I, I'm not looking at the Facebook stream, so uh, if... All right. If there are questions that come up, uh, do send them the way through the, the comments on this stream, and we will get them in your direction. Um, any last words for us, Nathan, uh, uh, information that you want to leave us with? No, I'm just, I, I wish this didn't seem so scattered and, and rambling. Um, I have enjoyed it. I, I enjoy interacting with people. I'm more of a teacher than a preacher, per se. Um, so it, it hurts a little bit not to have that interaction. But, um, yeah, I've, been, I've enjoyed it, and thanks for the opportunity. Well, this, uh, this session has been recorded, and we'll uh, make sure that we get this out to our churches. So for those, of, uh, for those of you who have watched this stream, if you would like to share this, we will make that available um, as, soon as, we, as soon as we conclude. But thank you so much, Nathan Murray. It's been a pleasure. Would you uh, be willing to pray us uh, pray pray us out as the, as we say down here? Let's bow, Father God. We um, we just come before your throne with humble hearts and thankful hearts um, for the opportunity to to just open your Scripture and to share with other brothers and sisters in Christ, and for maybe those that aren't, uh, Father. We don't ever want to be in a place in our lives where we're not open uh, for input, that we're not open at least to your spirit and uh, to rubbing shoulders with, with other folks in the faith and allowing iron to sharpen iron and, uh, and, and learn from your, from your word. And Father, I'm also reminded that um, we're all called, whether we're professionally um, aligned to be quote-unquote ministers in the church or not, you, you call us all to ministry. And uh, we all do so on a daily basis, whether it's out of your character and, and, and out of your glory or if it's out of our flesh, we, we realize that we minister um, on a daily basis in, in whatever environment we happen to find ourselves in. Father, I pray that you would give us great courage that we could lean into and we could rest in our faith in you, that you are the author and you are the finisher of our faith, that you've written the beginning and you've written the end and really all the details in between. And we have no reason to fear you. We have no reason to fear the world around us. And that truthfully, this life, this temporal life, this thing that is so fleeting is not our end-all, be-all goal. That our end-all, be-all goal is a 
walking, talking, breathing, real relationship with your son. God, help us to actually believe that. Actually help us to walk that out with each other. And help us to love the world around us well. Jesus, we love you, we praise you, and we worship your name. For it's in the name of your holy son we ask. Amen.